0: Like all human beings um I am a creature of limited emotional bandwidth, and uh I feel pretty wrung out today uh if I'm honest with you we moved um and like i don't think that's hell, but it's close to it it's i moving is awful um um second uh we had a we had a home going yesterday, a funeral service here and um And then third, you know, I was just like Julian, like not like excited about this day, but wanting to be present for it. So um, as we open God's word today, uh, I told this in the 9 a.m., like, would you pray for your pastor right now? Because I don't got it today. Um, And pray that the Lord would speak mightily to his people because we need to hear from the Lord. We need his word. Uh, We're always dependent, right? Right. But just sometimes when we go through challenging things, we're more aware of that dependency. And that's where I'm at right now. I'm like, I I feel like super weak. So um, would you just pray with me as we open God's word today that he would speak to you. Father, we need you. And as we already sang, you are enough. Lord, these folks don't need the gifts and grace of Ryan McCamick. They need the gifts and grace of the good shepherd. So I pray that you would hide me behind him today, that the cross of Jesus Christ would be exalted, that his resurrecting power would be seen, that you would speak. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, the title of the sermon today is Intertwined. And we're gonna continue to talk from Ephesians chapter four about how the Christian life is inexplicably, inextricably linked together with one another. We do not go it alone. How, how many of you have uh, been to the Redwood Forest in California? How many, how many here? Okay, all right, good number. I have never seen the redwoods, but they are spectacular in their dimensions. Some of the redwood trees can grow up to 400 feet tall. That is longer than a football field. I mean, that's just astounding. And what is more, their girth and their size is truly mind boggling if you've ever seen photos of these trees. But what is interesting about the redwoods is that although they are massive and heavy and weighty, the vast majority of their roots only go three feet into the ground. Did you know that? The reason is because redwoods, their, their roots don't go so much deep, but they do go wide. And as they go wide, they actually intertwine themselves with one another. So when one redwood falls, oftentimes more than one fall. And when they stand, they stand together. I bring that up this morning because I think it is a beautiful picture of God's design for his people. We are meant to intertwine our lives with one another so that we can stand and fall even together. We hold one another up. We encourage one another. If I could put it very plainly, our strength as believers is to be shared. Our strength is to be shared. Now, last week in the first part of the chapter, chapters one or verses one through six, we saw that believers follow Christ together. And here in the next several verses, the apostle Paul develops this idea further by reminding us that we all have a role to play in Christ's mission, in his church. We can see this plainly in Paul's use of pronouns. Okay, can you say the word we with me? Say it. We. we look at philippians chapter 4 verse number 13 until we. okay when i point to you you say we. we very good until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of god verse number 14 then we will no longer be children tossed by the waves and blown around the wind by every teaching verse number 15 rather speaking the truth in love we grow up in every way into him who is the head into christ You see the emphasis here. It's not you. It's not me. It's we. When you look at the New Testament conceptualization of the Christian walk, the we is always greater than the me. So often when we think of spirituality or our walk with Christ, we think about kind of like just me and Jesus, baby. But that is not the conceptualization of Jesus or the writers of the New Testament. Consistently, you see, we, 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 we live the Christian life together. If we are following Christ, we need to not only be concerned about how you and I are doing, but how the church is doing. We need to be, as we say at Gospel Hope, responsible siblings, We're not just concerned about hitting the tape on our own. We're concerned about our brothers and sisters coming along with us in hitting the tape. It's not so much if you are an awesome Christian, it's really, are we an awesome church? See the difference in emphasis there? If you're just concerned about your spiritual well-being, man, you're going to lock yourself in your closet and be the best at Bible trivia. But if you're concerned about what Christ is concerned about and others, you're going to set aside some of your personal stuff and be more concerned about investing and encouraging and bringing others along with you. Sure, you can go fast by yourself, but you can go farther when you take others along with you. The reality is, you know, to raise the question from the book of Genesis, am I my brother's keeper? You know, That question was asked, like, am I my brother's keeper? And God's answer is what? Yes, Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You are your brother's keeper. Why? Because the mission belongs to us all. The mission belongs to us all. The progress and the health of a church is not the sole responsibility of the spiritual varsity squad, but it is the responsibility of every follower of Jesus. Which leads me to my point this morning. We must all, 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 all embrace the church's mission. So this raises a question, right? If you track him with me so far, we must all embrace the church's mission. The question you should be asking is what? What's the, mission? What's the church's mission? You guys are so smart. What is the church's mission? Well, fortunately, we don't have to guess. First of all, because Jesus tells us plainly. And secondly, because there's a giant sign in the back of the auditorium. In Matthew chapter 28, which is known as the Great Commission, Jesus tells us the mission of his followers, and it is to go into all the world and what? Make disciples. Or as we like to say at Gospel Hope, our mission is to make disciples who are growing in the gospel as a family while on mission. That is why you are left on earth if you are a follower of Jesus. You have a mission to accomplish, and it is to make disciples of all the world. So you might hear that, and if you're anything like me, you hear such a grand, a glorious mission, a mission with a scope that is so massive, and your heart begins to say, whoa, that's a tall order. I mean, God wants me to be involved in making disciples of all nations How am I supposed to do that? I mean, man, I think about Avondale Estates and Decatur. Man, this is some hard soil at times. How am I supposed to make disciples here? And then you say, not just here, but like of the whole world. How on earth is this little scrappy band of believers, this church that we call gospel hope, supposed to be play some role in God's global mission of making disciples of the whole world. I'm glad you asked because that's the point of the message today. I want to give you three things that it means to embrace the mission that Christ has called us to. So God says, all of us are to participate in the mission. All of us have a role to play. We must embrace it, every single one of us. Well, what does that look like in our life. So three things, embracing our mission. Number one, rely on Christ's supply. Man, if you're anything like me and you start to think about the scope of Christ's mission, you start to feel like, well, that's awesome. Make disciples of all nations. That's cool to put up on a wall somewhere. But how on earth are we supposed to achieve that objective? Unsurprisingly, the Lord has not only called us to this mission, he has actually given us the supplies that we need in order to accomplish it. Look at verse number seven, track with me. Look at your Bibles. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Let me read that again. Slow down, I want you to hear carefully what that text says. Grace was given to each one of us. Who do you think each one is? It's you. It's all y'all. Okay, that's the Greek, all 'all. (laughs) y'all. Grace was given to all y'all by whom Jesus Christ gave each one of his people, everyone that follows him, a gift. In a sense, then, you could say every believer, then, is an essential worker. You remember remember during the pandemic, you remember how many of you like, like anybody in here like got laid off or furlough because you weren't essential for a little bit. Anybody? Okay, everybody says, okay, we have like a couple non-essential people. Get out of here. Yeah, like, I mean, how how rude of a statement can that be? You're non-essential. Well, in Christ's church, that's not the case. Christ says, look, I gave a gift to every single one of my people. Every person who trusts in the work of Jesus in one sense is essential to the mission. You have a part to play because Jesus has given you a gift to use for the fulfillment of the mission of the church. Sometimes we're sitting on the bench and thinking like, man, I don't have much to offer. I don't have anything to do. I'm really not that important, Uh, survey says. No, according to the scripture, each one of us, I told you I'm tired. Okay. <laughs> Each one of us has been given a gift by the grace is Christ. What is more, the gifts that Christ gives are directly connected to the mission that he has given us. Okay, l- let me let me use an illustration here. It's as if God says, "I want you to dig a hole, and here's a shovel." He doesn't say, "I want you to dig a hole, Here's a Q-tip. Well, that would be foolish. You'd be like, what am I supposed to do with this? The mission is dig a hole. You're giving me a Q-tip. No. God's like, I want you to dig a hole. Here's a shovel for you. Here's a post hole digger for you. Here's a backhoe for you. That's the really spiritual people, right? (laughs) The mission is make disciples. Now I'm going to give you gifts that enable you actually to fulfill that mission. I love the way that the missionary Hudson Taylor once said it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. That's good news. So what are these gifts? What are these particular gifts that God gives to his people for the fulfillment of the mission to which he has called them? Glad you asked. Look at what it says in the text. Verse number 12, 11, I'm sorry. And he gave, that's Jesus, apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. All right. Full disclosure, there have been like volumes written on this one verse about what exactly this means, what each of these are. I'm not going to bore you with the details of that today. What I am going to say is I think this text essentially means that God has given his church these gifts because the advancement of the gospel will always need apostolic type people. He's given these gifts because the church will always need challenge from prophet type people. Because he's given these gifts to the church because the church will always need proclamation from evangelist type people. The church will always need care from pastoral type people. And the church will always need instruction from teacher type people. And fortunately for us, we're going to need all these things advancement and challenge and proclamation and care and instructions. And these things actually help us fulfill the mission of making disciples in the world. God's given us the right tool for the job to which he has called us to do. (laughs) You know, Pastor Rod always uses a really great illustration in, um, in Gospel Hope 101. And he says like, man, God's given us these tools, but we need to use them in the proper ways. Um, if you know Pastor Rod at all, or if you've been around Gospel Hope at all, you know Pastor Rod is a gifted teacher. That's very clear that God has given Rod the gift of teaching. But, but it would be crazy if Rod said, oh, Lord, thank you for my gift of teaching. And he spends all weeks like prepping like the best sermon in the world. And then Sunday morning, he gets up and he goes to his bathroom and he locks the door behind him and he just preaches his socks off into the mirror. You say, what is wrong with that man? I don't know. I've been asking myself that question for five years. I'm not sure what's wrong with him. Mm-hmm. But you would say, no, that, the gift is given in order to be used in the proper way. And the way that you are using that gift is not being used in the proper way. Pastor Rod, you've missed the point in one sense. That's not what you use the gift for. Listen, God has given you a gift to be used in the proper way for the building up of his church. (laughs) And look, these gifts that God has given all y'all, I mean, look around this room for a minute. This is a room of gifted people. And in a theological sense, if you've trusted in the work of Jesus, you are a gifted person, not by some sort of like IQ test, not by some sort of personality profile. You are a gifted person by the risen Lord. You are gifted. And look, that gift friends didn't come cheap. Look at what it says. Look at what it says in verse number eight. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Okay, so this is Jesus. He's giving gifts to men. Well, what did it take for him to give those gifts? Verse number nine. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? Well, that he first also had to descend into the lower parts, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above heavens that he might fill all things. So what does that mean? It means at least in part, Jesus came to earth. He laid down his life on the cross and he rose from the dead to give you the tools that were necessary to carry out his work in the world. Jesus didn't just die to rescue you from hell. He did that. Jesus died to equip you for his mission as well. And we would be fools. We would be fools and and the epitome of ingrates if we took the gifts that Christ has given us and simply put them on the shelf to collect rust. Jesus died to gift you. Therefore, it is incumbent upon us to leverage those gifts, to leverage all that we are and all that we have and all that Christ died to accomplish, to fulfill the mission for which he has called us to. Here's what it says in 1 Peter chapter four. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others. Don't set it on the shelf. You've been given a gift Use it to serve others as good stewards of God's varied grace. It's not your gift in the first place. You are stewards of the gift that God has entrusted you. Listen, Jesus died and he rose again in order that we would be able to live with meaning and purpose and pursue his mission in the church. Christ's death ensured that Christ's people are empowered. Christ's death ensured that Christ people are empowered. Jesus died. I I don't want to be glib about this, but Jesus died so that some of you could serve in children's ministry. Like for real. Jesus died so that some of you could stand out front and give a warm greeting to somebody. We don't think of it that way, but that is part of Jesus's death's purpose to not just save, but to equip, to empower, to allow us to live in his strength. So if we are to embrace the mission that God has given us, the first thing that we need to do is rely on Christ's strength. And the good thing is, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, you are gifted by the son of God. Number two. Remain with Christ's strategy. So Christ has given us the right tool for the job, but here's the thing, just because you have the right tool doesn't mean you know how to use it. Does anybody know what the abomination known as the pampered chef can opener is? Does anybody know what that is? Yes, you do. Testify, sister, testify. My wife brought one of these things home one time. Y'all... I have a doctorate degree and I could not figure out this stinking can opener. I mean, I had the right tool and I'm like, honey, this is not a can opener. There is no like, you don't squeeze it. There's no blade. What type of sorcery and witchcraft have you put into my hand? I had the right tool, but I didn't use it in the right way. And so I think I got like a crowbar or something. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. It was desperate times. Just because you have a gift of God doesn't mean you're employing it in the way that God has called you to. So how does the Lord call us to use these gifts? In other words, what is the strategy that these gifts are to be employed in? Now look at verse number 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers these gifts. Why? Look, to equip the saints. Look at that word to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So put your theological thinking caps on here for a moment. So the purpose of the gifts is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now saints in the New Testament does not mean like super spiritual people. Saints does not mean like save, save people. Saints just means average, regular Joe Christians. That's what Satan means. It just means somebody who is trusted in the finished work of Christ. So, if I could paraphrase, the gifts are given to equip saved people, Christians, for the work of the ministry, or if we can use a southern pronoun, gifts are given to equip all y'all for the work of the ministry. Okay, you with me so far? Mm. That is the strategy that Christ says to use. Now, If that is correct, which it is, you need to pause for a minute. This, for many of us, will actually be a paradigm shift. You say, why? Because here's what I think this passage is teaching. All Christians are called to to, to ministry. All Christians are called to ministry. Maybe not in a professional or a vocational sense, but every single believer has been gifted and equipped by God for the work of the ministry. That is simply what the text says. The gifts are given to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of the ministry. So who, do, who does the ministry in our church? All y'all. Um, sometimes we just think that, that the job of ministry like is the, is the pros, the people who get a salary, as it were. So who's the job of the ministry at Gospel Hope Church? Well, Pastor Rod and Pastor Ryan. They're the pastors. It's their job to do the ministry. It's the staff's job to do the ministry. But that's not biblical. Now, certainly as followers of Jesus, it is our job to participate. As a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, I'm supposed to do the work of the ministry, but so are all of you. Let me use an analogy that maybe will be helpful. How many of you have ever been to a concert before? Yeah, right? When you go to a concert, you go to see the pro do it, right? You go as a spectator. You go and sit down, and you want to see the person up on stage doing the music that is extra proficient at it. Oh, they're wonderful on the violin or man, they can really play the piano or whatever instrument or, or genre they're doing. You go because you've heard them in some way and you're like, they're awesome. I'm gonna go and watch them. Ever think about church that way? I'm gonna go and boy, Pastor Ryan better preach a good sermon today because I'm there to be ministered to. He, he better really preach a good one because I am here so that I can consume the spiritual good and service that is coming from the stage. Oh, the worship team, they better be on point because I'm coming to get my worship on and I can't do it if they don't do it right. So they better get their acts together We think a lot about ministry as coming from the platform rather than ministry coming from the pew. Or if I could modernize it, from the stage rather than the stackable chair. That's deep. Let that drop in your spirit, right? I would argue that we should not think of ministry as church, as a concert. We should think of it more as like a karaoke night. Now who participates in a karaoke night? All y'all. Do you have to be good? No, you do not. (laughs) Perhaps it is better when you are not good, right? But in a karaoke night, you don't come to see the professionals do the music. You come to participate in giving the music. Okay, you with me now? Come on. We need to start thinking about church in that way. I'm not coming to hear the professionals do it. I'm coming because I am a participant in the mission of Christ Church. I have been equipped by the risen Christ to use my gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. The job of ministry is not the pastor's. The job of ministry belongs to all of us. In a sense... If someone were to come in here and say, who are your ministers at Gospel Hope Church? Now, I understand what they're asking. You know, our our knee-jerk answer would be, well, that's the pastors, right? Now, I get it, don't be a smart aleck. All right, don't be a smart aleck if somebody asks that question. But in your heart, in your mind, your answer should really be, who's the ministers at Gospel Hope Church? All y'all, all All y'all. Well, you're talking to one because I am here not to be an observer, but to be an owner of the mission. I am here not to be a spectator, but a provider of ministry here at this church. In one sense, when you hit these doors, or when you go to your community group, or when you're living out your lives on a weekly basis, you are saying, I am here to serve. Could I offer even a suggestion? Maybe when you come in the doors on a Sunday morning, rather than going to your assigned seats, You know, we all do it like you all sit in the same place every week. It's so funny. We're creatures of habit. Instead of doing that, maybe you should stop at the door and say, okay, I'm here to minister today. Lord, where do you want me to sit? Lord, who do you want me to talk to? Because I am here not to get, I am here to give. I'm here to serve people. Lord, would you direct my path? And just that one little act that might begin to change your mindset. Lord, where do you want me to sit? I know I won't be able to find you next week if you're obedient people, but that's okay. Because we want to say, let's just have a church filled with ministers because the work of the ministry belongs to every single one of us. Christ died to make that a reality. And here's the thing, wouldn't it change the whole tenor of the service? Wouldn't you sing different if you believed I'm a minister? I'm here to serve people. I told you a couple weeks ago, like when I worship, it's like the most aggressive experience of my week. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna believe these truths. And part of the reason I do that is not just for me, it's for you. Because I'm like, I'm not just fighting for me because I know people are dragging in here this week and they need to believe just like I need to believe. And maybe my fighting to believe helps them just a little bit. Maybe me lifting my hands when I don't feel like lifting my hands helps them to lift up their eyes to the hills where their help comes from. Maybe me singing with joy or with tears helps the person sitting next to me or beside me or somebody that sits across the way and says, man, that's a blessing to my heart. Brothers and sisters, wouldn't it change the tone of the service if we all came not just to get, but to give? Would it change the way you listen to the sermons if you came to give and not to get? Wouldn't there be, I, look, look, I'm not fishing. I'm really not. Like, it, like if you say amen and things like that, like I like it, but I'm not like insecure and I don't need it. Early in my, just, okay, I'm just transparent. I'm down here on the floor. Early in my ministry, I needed it. I don't need it now. I'm a big boy. Um, but they might need it. Amen. They might need you to say amen. They might need you to, to pray in that moment. Oh Lord, help us to receive. They might need you to be a participant in the sermon rather than just a spectator of the sermon. If we began to take the mindset that I have been equipped by God, I am a minister of gospel, hope, church. I'm here to serve. I'm here to bless. I'm here to encourage. God, fill me up so that I can be a blessing to my brothers and sisters. Rather than, hey, it's just me and Jesus time. You know, look, sorry. This is Ryan unplugged this morning. Sorry, I told you I'm tired. So um, let me give you some philosophy, all right? Sometimes we can get in worship and I mean corporate singing, and we could get our eyes closed and we're singing to the Lord. And that's precious. And I appreciate that. But if that's the whole time we're singing, I think you're missing a dimension. Because the Bible says in Colossians that we are to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts. Like You could worship God on your own at home. I don't recommend it like because there's something unique when the people of God gather, we come to not only sing to God, but to sing to one another. Like that's why we're here. We're here to minister to one another, to encourage one another. Your brother and sister, you may wake up one morning and says, "Ah, I'm not sure I feel like going to church. That's too narrow. You're just thinking about you. What if somebody else needs you to be there? You see the mindset shift? All of a sudden, I'm not a recipient. I'm a provider. I'm not a spectator. I'm a full-on player in the game. So y'all, let's get in the game. Let's get in the game as a church and start saying, Christ, you died and you rose again to equip me for the work of the ministry. My yes is on the table. Number three, rest in Christ's success. So rely on Christ's strength, remain with Christ's strategy, and rest in Christ's success. I mean, that's double alliteration. I really wish Pastor Rod was in here, because I need a pat on the back right now. Yeah, okay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Nicole. Yeah, look at that. She's a participant. Yeah, okay. Once we begin engaging in the mission and using the resources that God has entrusted us, what does winning look like? Like, that's kind of what we got to ask ourselves. The question, how do we know if we're winning? Well, fortunately, this passage tells us two things I just want to highlight here as we wrap it up. The first result of us pursuing this together is unity. Look at verse four, or chapter four, verse number 13. Until we all attain unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. When a healthy group of believers is pursuing this mission together, each of them using their gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. Everybody's a minister, resting on the strength that Christ provide. The result of that is unity in the church. And it's a specific kind of unity. It's unity of the faith and of the son of God. Have any of you been on like a really good tour before? Um, maybe like, you know, the monuments in Washington or Biltmore or something like that. You've been on a place that was a really good tour. A really good to- tour guide knows how to do a couple things. Tour guides not only know kind of their subject matter, like they know the ins and outs, they know the details, they know the interesting facts and curiosities about a per- particular place, but they also know how to kind of curate an experience of people together. So a tour guide will walk you through this building and say, hey, everybody, if you could just turn your attention over here, and here's this fact. And by the time everybody goes through that tour, if it's a good one, they all go out and they're kind of talking about the same things together. They're like, man, that was awesome. Did you know that that's where that was built or whatever? In a sense, all of us should be tour guides to the church. When people enter our body, whether it's through these doors or through your community group or through relationships that you should have, you should begin to take them on a tour of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. You should be saying, look, here's what we believe about the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. Here's what we believe about the Trinity. Here's what we believe about salvation by grace through faith. And you're just taking them on a tour of the scripture but you're not just filling their head with information. You're also beginning to take them on a tour of experiencing Jesus personally for themselves. Where they're saying, man, I've received answer to prayer in this area. Have you received any answers of prayer? What is your experience? Have you seen some victory over areas of sin in your life? And over time, if we're all tour guides, we're all helping one another grow in this area, we're achieving unity because we're believing the same thing about God's word and we're experiencing Jesus in the same way. That doesn't mean we dot our I's and cross our T's exactly the same on cultural preferences or on politics or whatever. But when it comes to the word of God and our experience with Jesus, we are growing in unity as a body together. There should be a sense in which when you come to Gospel Hope Church, you're like, you know what? I don't agree about everything with those folks, but I do know a couple things. Man, they love the word of God just like me, and they walk with Jesus just like me. And that's it, that's the basis of our unity. Do you know the word of God? Do you love the word of God? Are you growing in your knowledge and understanding of the word? And two, are you growing in your experience with Jesus? I don't want a bunch of just really good Bible trivia players at Gospel Hope Church. We do need to know our word. We are people of the book but we also need to be people who have a practical and personal relationship with Jesus, who are growing in love of him and experience of him. And a good church, when we are winning, we are experiencing that type of unity. We don't look all the same. We don't vote all the same. We don't think all the same about everything, but we believe the scriptures together and we love our savior together. That's the type of unity that I'm talking about. But that's not all. The other factor that should happen is when we are winning, when we are seeing the success that Christ wants to give us, it's maturity. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 13 again. Growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Now, that's just a way of simply saying this. If you are in a church, a body of believers, where people are owning the mission, all of us should increasingly be looking more like Jesus. This is convicting to me. Because in a church like Gospel Hope, where we really like, we can be unified on the wrong things, friends. We can be like the cool church. Now, I don't want to be like nerdy on purpose. Look at my khakis today, Jalen. Okay, yeah, all right. Um, I, I don't wanna be like out of touch or irrelevant or whatever, but our unity is not based on, well, those are cool people. Those are modern people. Our unity needs to be based on like, those are Jesus people. And, and if you spend time here, my hope is that over time, you just keep looking more and more like Jesus and you're helping other people look more and more like Jesus. You ever heard the story about the sculptor? You know, where he says, man, man, that's a beautiful horse that you carved out of marble. How did you you get that horse out? And the sculptor essentially said, well, the horse was already in there. I just chipped the pieces off that didn't look horse-like. And in a sense, that's what should be happening in the church all the time. We're helping one another, chipping off pieces, that don't look like Jesus, slowly growing in maturity. My prayer is that if you are in this body of believers for very long, that over time, the character of our Lord and savior is being formed in you. That's when we're winning. Not when the seats are filled. Now I hope the seats are filled. Not just when we're planning churches. Now I hope we keep planning churches like crazy but we are winning when the body of believers increasingly is looking more and more and more and more like Jesus. And can I say something just, just real plainly? It's gonna be hard to do if you're never with these people. That's I mean, just the reality. I need you and you need me because you know what? Just as I'm supposed to minister to you, that's my job. In one sense, you're supposed to minister to me because it's your calling. You've been equipped by the risen Lord to be part of his mission in the world. We are all ministers and we need one another. I need Pam to knock off the non christ like parts. And sometimes sadly, oh, this is the ugly truth of it. Sometimes sadly, the only way Pam is gonna know to knock those parts off is because I'm gonna hurt her in some way. But she's gonna be no. I'm with you. I'm in it with you, Ryan. When you said that, that hurt. Oh, sister. Good night, man. I need to. I need to repent. I need to change. We need one another to help us be growing in Christ likeness. Let's not be the cool church. Um, it's fine if we're cool. All right, cool's okay. Let's be the Christ like church. Let's be known for the way that we walk deeply with Jesus, not in, not in unnecessarily offensive, strident ways, but in real, deep, passionate ways where we are saying, man, you know what matters to me? Jesus Christ and him crucified. In all of this turbulent world, let's kind of go back to the basis and walk this way. Walk with Jesus, our Savior so that when people run into folks like you and I that happen to be part of this little scrappy gospel hope church, they are encountered with somebody who is maturing in their faith. Do you long to be part of that? Do you long to leverage your brief time, the brief time that we have left on planet earth for something that will matter, not for a day or for a week, but for forever? Then let's get in the game whether you've got five years left or 50, let's get in the game and begin to commit to give our lives for what really matters. Not, let's not chase the American dream. Let's not chase our kingdom and our name. Let's chase the name of Jesus and his kingdom come and his will be done on earth right now as it is in heaven. Let's be a foretaste of the rule and reign of King Jesus because we are all on board on his mission. You know, a wildly popular entertainment series has been Mission Impossible, right? Used to be a TV show and then there's like a bazillion movies that Tom Cruise is gonna do till he's like 94. That dude's amazing, like good grief. But the beginning of every one of those movies and TV shows start with this. Your mission, what? That's exactly what the savior is saying to us today. I've done all that is necessary. I've given you the tools that you need. I've given you your marching orders. Your mission is to make disciples. Should you choose to accept it? Should you choose to accept it? Here it is. God is inviting us to get in the game. Look at what it says again in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 10. I love this part. He who descended The one who died and rose again is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Jesus is seated in this position of authority as the king of the universe, the sovereign ruler of the world. And he, that's the one who gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Why? To equip the saints, all y'all, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Listen, Christ's resurrection is our invitation. Jesus died and rose from the dead to say, you can be a part. You can have a stake in the greatest cause in the world. My mission of building the church gospel hope. Let's all get in the game. As the missionary evangelist C.T. Sudd once said, Only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Do you want that to be your epitaph? That what you did for Christ lasted because you chose to say, Christ rose to get me in the game. Lord, help me to leverage all that I am and all that he has given me to be a part of his mission. Now I'm gonna close with something kind of unusual, except for I can't say that anymore because I always do things that are unusual. So something that is normal. I'm gonna ask you to have a conversation right now. Just as you've been hearing from the Lord this morning, I wanna challenge each of us to have a conversation with those folks around you, your fellow ministers. How has God equipped you to serve the mission of the church? What are some specific ways that God has equipped you personally to serve in the church for the sake of making disciples in the world? So I'm going to ask you to have that conversation with two or three folks sitting around you. If you don't like them, just move. They'll be offended. It's cool. You're a minister, though. No more pay for you. You're fired. Okay. Find some folks, have a conversation, and then I'll call us back here in a minute. And I'm going to ask you to respond in a way that's going to call you for some courage. So be prepared. All right, have a conversation. Go. Well, hopefully you had a quick, good, enlightening conversation. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Not everybody has to do this. My feelings won't be hurt. But if maybe, maybe this morning, as you heard from God's word, you, you just feel like, man, God is pressing on my heart a particular way he wants you to serve. Like God's gifted me in this way and I wanna serve more meaningfully. Maybe you're already serving, but you wanna just kind of take that next iteration. Maybe something needs to happen in you. Maybe you haven't gotten plugged in in some way and you're like, man, I need to get in the game. But I wanna encourage you, if that's you, would you stand right now, stand on your feet and say, man, the Lord's burdened me about particularly particularly serving in some particular way. I have a burden to serve in Christ church. Just stand to your feet, okay, great, great. All right, just a minute more. All right, now, if you're around those people, would you go and stand beside them? Put your hand on their shoulder and just pray over them for a minute. Just find somebody that's near you and just pray over these folks. You don't need to know the area, just take some turns praying right over them. Just begin praying one at a time. Start praying for people right now that are standing, that God would encourage them in this. Somebody help Marcus out right down here. He's by himself, somebody come pray for him. There we go, they're running to you, Marcus. Just pray over these folks. Just go ahead and pray right now. Pray out loud over them, pray out loud over them. Lean into this. Lean into this. This is the work of being a minister in Christ's church. Do the hard work of prayer. Father, would you hear the prayers of your people as we just try to submit ourselves to you right now, Lord. Lord, some of these folks that you've, you're calling to be more engaged in your mission, I pray that they would be encouraged by the prayers of your people. And I pray that we would follow you wherever you lead us, Lord. Lord, thank you that Jesus died, not just to take us to heaven one day, but Lord, to give us purpose and meaning today. Thank you that we serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who died and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God to give us gifts so that we may be involved in your great work in the world. We give you glory, Father. We give you praise. We give you honor. May the name of Jesus be exalted in Gospel Hope Church, in Avondale Estates, in Decatur, in Atlanta, and to the ends of the earth because your people are engaging in your mission. Oh God, help us. We worship you right now. Name of Christ we pray, amen. All God's people said, amen.